Hi, I'm Len Epp from LeanPub, and in this episode of the Front Matter Podcast, I'll be interviewing Dave Leeds. Based near Nashville, Tennessee, Dave is a software developer, author, and illustrator whose programming work is particularly focused on mobile development for both Android and iOS. You can follow him on Twitter at DJ Leeds and check out his website at typealias.com and subscribe to his great YouTube channel at Type Alias. Dave is the author of the book, Kotlin, An Illustrated Guide. In the book, Dave helps you learn how to program in the Kotlin programming language the fun way, with both illustrations and concrete explanations, in a book that steps through the concepts one at a time in order to help you build a solid mental model of the language. In this interview, we're going to talk about Dave's background and career, professional interests, his book, and at the end, we'll talk a little bit about his experience and process as an author. So thank you very much, Dave, for being on the Lean Pub Front Matter podcast. I'm excited to be here. Thank you so much, Juan. Um, I always like to start these interviews by asking people for their origin story. So I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about where you grew up and how you found your way into a career as a developer and then as an author. Yeah, sounds great. So um, I was a child in a military family. My dad was in the U.S. Army. And so we moved around every two to three years. We were in a new place. Uh, so I don't really have a spot that I would look at and say, you know, that's home for me. Uh, but my wife and I have been in the Nashville area for uh, over 10 years now. So at this point, we just say we're from Tennessee. Uh, my earliest experience with computers was uh, somewhere around maybe six or seven years old. Um, and this was back in the early 80s. So we had definitely no hard drive. Uh, we had at first not even any floppy drive, uh, but I do remember we had a cassette deck that you could connect to the computer and uh, you could record the data and then play it back later. Uh, so not something I've seen in a very long time at this point. Uh, back in the 80s, they used to have in kids' magazines, and I'm sure you're familiar with this one, Len, uh, there used to be uh, basic scripts that you could type in, uh, and they'd be, you know, maybe like a page long. Uh, you could type them in, and they would make some kind of a little illustration for you or something. And uh, so my brother and I would, a lot of times, uh, would type those in. We were young enough that we couldn't do touch type at that point. So usually one of us would read the script aloud, and the other one would kind of hunt on the keyboard, try to find the right keys uh, to punch in the, the script. And uh, one of the most memorable things about that uh, for me was um, we didn't know what the asterisk character is. So if you hit shift eight on your keyboard, you get this, what some people would call a star. Uh, we didn't know what that was. And so when we were reading it to each other, uh, we called it splat because it kind of looks like it <laughs> took something and threw it at the wall and it made a splat on the wall, you know. So I still I still to this day, if I'm uh, typing a wildcard character, uh, you know, doing splat dot txt to find all the text files. Right. Uh, so no, good, good memories there. Yeah, that, um, so it's fantastic. I just I just got interrupted that. I mean, I've never heard. Splat yeah. Or that's fantastic. Of course, that's it's kind of like, of course, that's what it looks like. Um, we've had. Uh, it sounds like you and I are of the same vintage. Um, uh, I have some memories of that kind of thing too, and it's, it is. But we, you know, we've had people from you know across the the decades on the podcast before, um, and as we were talking about before we started recording, a, most a lot of lean pub authors are pro programmers themselves, so they've had this sort of various experiences, um, and yeah, that one one thing that's sort of like interesting to reflect on is like you know you only have to be as old as we are to remember what it was like to like the magic of being able to actually like play things back, you know, the, or record, as you said, something that you did and play it back. Like that was, that was not a thing uh, that was like sort of easily available to people in, in any format, really. I mean, 
uh, and uh, any any electronic format or digital format, I should say. Uh, and you know, this sort of ability to um, record your TV and play back what you saw on there, for example, whenever whenever you wanted to, uh, was a really <laughs> a really empowering thing. So anyway, sorry to interrupt, but yeah, that's just yeah thing that you mentioned yeah definitely i'd say the ability to uh to have this device where it could do any number of things right and um yeah you could put in one script and it would do one thing you could put in another script it it'd do something else um, a lot of times with those magazine scripts i don't know what your experience was with it but uh for us there was always some little difference between the version of basic that they had when they wrote this thing and the version of basic that we had and so something would always go wrong you know every time uh or or it'd be not quite right but uh it was still a fun process uh, punching it in anyway i actually have a specific example of a, a version of that which was um uh did you ever play the game king's quest oh yes uh-huh i don't know if you, if you remember this there was a notorious bug in one version of the game where the answer to a in the this was this for those listening this was an adventure game so this is a game where you have a character that you would you would use the direction keys on your keyboard to move them around um in a kind of medieval kind of you know kind of uh sort of time and place uh and you would sort sort of like solve puzzles and riddles and stuff like that and there was the answer to one of the riddles was rumple stiltskin but in the code that name Rumpelstiltskin was misspelled. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> he was in the wrong place. And I think... Made it, it even harder to guess like, then, huh? Yeah, and I think it was even something like you had to type it backwards or something like that. Anyway, it was something along those lines. And so, even if you figured it out correctly, you you couldn't solve the problem. Uh, yeah. So there was this kind of meta issue. And back in those days, there wasn't like, you couldn't just get the latest patch, you know? It was like, what was shipped was what you got. So, yeah. yeah. Well, um, anyway, I guess um, continuing with uh, some of my experience with with uh, programming at an early age, um, I think anytime that you're learning new skills, I've found that there's always this phase that you go through where you mostly just follow the instructions. So whether you're learning to uh, write software or whether you're learning to cook or to do art, you kind of start off just doing what you're told. And um, at some point, you kind of reach this this fun inflection point where you start being able to take the pieces of what you've learned and put them together for your own thing. So uh, for if you're cooking, maybe you've figured out you know exactly what flavors work well together and so you can start making your own recipes. Um, and so for me, it took a little while, but I think probably around fifth grade is when um, I really started being able to understand programming, not just not just something I could relay, uh, you know, through the keyboard, but something that I could understand, put things together and, you know, try to make things that were kind of like King's Quest, uh, you know, making games when you're a kid uh, is always a, a fun ambition. Uh, and so uh, probably about about fifth grade is where that that change happened for me. And of course, the the code is uh, atrocious if you were to look at it today uh I, I would probably hide my face uh you know bury my face in some pillows in embarrassment but um but still just having the experience early on uh getting a chance to um learn about programming and just enjoy the experience of it uh, at a young age uh definitely made a big uh difference for me so i kept up with uh programming just as a hobby throughout uh junior high and high school 
uh, in college, computers was actually my minor. Uh, my major was biblical studies. Uh, so I was intending to serve in uh, like church ministries or Christian organizations. And um, after college, I did a little bit of that. And I ended up uh, doing web development on a contract basis uh, to financially support uh, myself to be able to do some of those things. And uh, I'm still very devoted in my Christian faith. Uh, just vocationally, the thing, the way things have kind of shaken out uh, for me have been just kind of doing more full-time uh, software development. But the funny thing is that a lot of what I've learned in the biblical studies major in terms of just like the way that you communicate things uh, is actually playing a pretty big role in uh, some of the writing and some of the other sharing that I do. Uh, just you, you can imagine uh, things like object lessons, right? Having very tangible things to communicate uh, concepts that might otherwise be hard, right? Some theology concepts can be kind of hard to grasp, but we bring them down to very uh, tangible things that are easier to relate to. And so a lot of those um, skills, I think, have actually uh, come in very helpful for me uh, as I've been communicating uh, about software development. Yeah, that um, that's uh, that makes a lot of sense. Um, uh, you know, someone someone who goes off into the esoteric part of things and has to come back uh, to the community to explain to people who are too busy doing other things. Uh, you know, maybe one one morning a week. You know, what what's all this? What's all this going on over here? And you're like, ah, oh, I've been there, uh, <laughs> and, I'm, and I'm back to tell you, you know, A B C. But I've got to try and tell it to you in terms that you're familiar with, um, and essentially translate. Um, you know, make yeah, that makes that makes a lot of sense. Um, and so, uh, one question I have that I ask on the podcast every once in a while, uh, if the guest is in, you know, a programmer, is um, if you were starting out, and speaking of vintages, if you were starting out now, and you were like, say, 18, you just graduated from high school, and you wanted a career as a programmer, would you go to college and study computer science, even as a minor? Yeah, um, things have definitely changed over the past 20 years or so. Um, I see that it tends to be less of a requirement now. I think, you know, back in the early days, it was a little bit harder to uh, get a position if you didn't have a computer science degree. Um, the con You know, I, I entered the industry as a contractor, which sometimes is a little bit more open to having people who just, you know, based on the work that you can demonstrate that you can do. Um, I would say that, you know, I think there are a lot of good things about uh, college. I think that yeah, my brother, actually, my older brother is a college professor. Um, and so I, I see a lot of value there, uh, both in terms of what you would learn and just from the experience that you would get. Uh, but it has to make financial sense for what you're doing. And I think the biggest, um, if I could make one recommendation for people on this, it would, it would really be find a way to pay for it as you go. Um, you know, so if you're, if your parents have been able to save up for you uh, to be able to go to college, it's great, you know, and then you found a place you want to go, that's great. Um, but I strongly recommend against doing any kind of student loans, just because there are so many people who end up really getting saddled with debt for decades, uh, in some cases, uh, to be able to, to pay off their degree. Uh, and it's really not the time of your life when you need, like, I'm sure there are a hundred things, uh, that everybody would rather do it with their money, right? Uh, whether it's saving for themselves or giving to organizations that can make a difference in the things that you believe in. Um, so so I would say if you're looking to get into software development, maybe start out by looking at some of the boot camps and seeing if, if they might make sense for you. There are a lot of them now and a lot of them are pretty well connected to uh, different companies. So they have ways that they can place you now. 
Um, if, if you decide you want to go to college, I would support you in that. I think that's uh, that's great. But just don't don't get yourself in debt over it. Find a way to pay for it. Get the grants that you need. Get um, you know any other kind of uh, work that you can do at the same time. Uh, find ways to maybe work with the company. Um, you know, getting some experience while you're uh, getting the, the degree as well. Uh, but avoid the the financial debt, uh, and your life will be way better for it. And that's that's a really great answer. Thank you very much for that. The um, uh, when it reminds me of an experience I had in my life. So the, you know, there's debt, and then there's debt, right? And so I remember, um, you know, coming from Canada, you know, we have concepts of what a st- student loan is uh, that are not the same as they are in the United States, mm. and are not the same as they're in other countries. Now, this is actually a dated reference, but like I moved to the UK in 1999, and I remember encountering a coworker there who was like. He started shaking his head about his student debt, and he's like, "I, I don't know how I'm going to get out from underneath it. It's five thousand pounds, mm. and which is basically like seven thousand dollars or something like that." And it's like, I was empathetic and sympathetic, and all like everyone has their own situation, but like you know, compared to America, you know, particularly in America where it could be hundreds of thousands of dollars, it was like, "Well, yeah. you basically got a free education, my friend." Um, you know, uh, and, uh, you know, but, but at the same time, like it, that being said, actually things have changed and tuition is actually quite high in the UK now. Um, mm. and yeah, those, those considerations really, really do matter. Um, the, uh, the thing, the thing I always add to, I like to add to these conversations is that, um, one of the things about going to university, if you can afford it and you, and you can do it is that you meet all these interesting people that you then have lifelong relationships with and, you know, if, if you've ever, like, you know, the sort of one of the tickets to the middle class, you know, is my friends are doctors and lawyers. And that happens if you go to university, basically. Um, and there's like, you know, it's kind of difficult to put money value on that, you know, but at the same time, it's easy to put a money value on $300,000 of student loans. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. Thinking about how long that's <laughs> going to take you to pay it off. So, uh, yeah, no, it's uh, thank you very much for your, for your really nice answer there. No, that was really good. Um, uh, and so, uh, so you're contracting and, and stuff like that. And eventually you made your way into, uh, creating beautiful content. Um, and I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about how you got into, let's say, let's, let's start with drawing. Oh, sure. Yeah. Drawing is another one of those, uh, hobbies that I had even, uh, as a child. Um, I actually, I, I haven't had any, uh, real formal training on, uh, the art stuff. Mm. Uh, actually the, the handful of like art classes that I took in high school, I, I actually didn't do very well. in. um, I mostly wanted to stay focused on cartoons and, uh, that's not always what the art teacher wants to do. Um, and so, um, so the, the reason that can be an issue is that, uh, it's actually one of the slowest parts of the, um, the writing process for me. So I, a lot of times I'll sketch things out ahead of time and, you know, just kind of have a, a draft sketch of, of an idea, just kind of rough it out what, um, what I think a drawing is going to look like or something. And, um, but when I get to actually drawing the, uh, you know, the final illustration for it, it can take a few tries because I'm just, I'm not very well trained. And that's the same kind of thing, you know, for somebody who is uh, coming to software development, for example, if they just haven't had as, as much experience with it, uh, they will... You know, they'll have to feel around in the dark a little bit and then eventually they'll get something that works basically like they wanted it, but it kind of takes a little bit more effort. It's, that's kind of where I am with the art stuff. Um, I, I enjoy it and um, I've been over the past year or so, I've been trying to focus on getting better at it so I can just be faster at producing some of these uh, 
some of the both videos and um, so, so some of the videos I do animated pieces as well. Um, so I'm trying to get a little bit faster at it and trying to get a little bit better at it. Uh, but I still it's kind of funny all the things that I enjoyed when I was a kid, including software development and illustrating and uh, the kinds of uh, mystery books that I liked when I was a kid. I, all that stuff is still the same for me today. Yeah, that's that's really great. That's really great. It's um, I'm just looking. I'm like, if if I look distracted, it's because I'm looking at your book and the sort of the great illustrations in there. Um, I particularly like, you know, the kind of buckets uh, where you're talking about. Um, uh, this is that now we're sort of like moving into the territory of the book, but you know, variables are um in in a in a in programming are kind of buckets that you can you think of them that way that you can put any kind of number into them, uh, and actually seeing that kind of like illustrated buckets with different numbers on them and stuff like that is actually a really great kind of aid to kind of like getting getting the concept which is just which is just fantastic um yeah thank you yeah the the funny thing about that is i remember when i first started writing about kotlin um it was late 2017 and i have a vivid memory of sitting on the couch uh, on a saturday morning drinking coffee with my wife which we do almost every saturday and um we were just kind of talking about some of the writing that i was planning on doing and she said, you know, Dave, I think you should uh, include some of your cartoon illustrations in some of what you're writing. And I was like, you know, I, I appreciate that, but I kind of want this to be you know, a little, little more professional uh, feel to it and everything. And uh, so I didn't do that for the first probably, uh, I don't know, four to six months. Uh, I didn't include any illustrations. And eventually I got to some topics that were just kind of easier to explain if you had illustrations. So I started adding them and go figure that's what everybody connected with the most uh, and so that's just kind of uh i just kind of kept running with what worked uh people seemed to uh, really connect with the drawings and so i i kept doing that and uh, at this point it kind of i guess became a bit of a you know a, a bit of a brand for me or it's kind of my niche uh, at this point yeah no it's it's very good it's they're very the, the drawings are very recognizable as well um i would say uh having having looked at a few of them and uh and having watched your really really good videos that you make as well um, thank you. And, uh, yeah, and it's, uh, it's, it's very interesting having seen, you know, sort of many books over the years. Um, uh, you know, if anyone's watching and they're thinking of writing their own book, you know, one of the things to do is not to be too presumptuous about what people want from you. Um, mm. try things and see, uh, and if there's something you're good at and you enjoy, it's possible that that actually is something other people might enjoy. Um, and, uh, you know, you might, you might think that, you know, you want to write, you know, the sort of like, you know, big serious kind of programming book and you might, you might try that and it might find an audience. And it could be that if you add a cool picture, uh, people like it even more, even if it's the exact same serious programming book. Um, and, uh, you know, people, people do like sort of fun and enjoyment and things like that. Uh, and your, your book in particular. So it's, uh, let's, let's move on to talk about it. Um, sure. Uh, it's, uh, uh, Kotlin and illustrated guide. Um, and it is meant both, I believe, both for kind of absolute beginners and people who are like absolute beginner programmers and people who are already programmers, but, you know, just want to learn Kotlin. Yeah, that's right. I've actually, and I'm, I'm sure you've, um, you've probably talked with a lot of authors about the challenge of, of how do you present something that is useful to a wide range of developers, regardless of their skill level. And what I've found is that everybody, regardless of almost of your experience level, everybody has 
some more experience in certain things than other people, right? So, you know, maybe you've worked more in a particular language, maybe you've worked more on server-side APIs than I have. Uh, and so you've got your particular uh, experience and you, you understand the terms to mean a certain thing in that context. Um, but there are other things that, you know, maybe I know that are just kind of more tenuous for you. But all of us have some amount of this cloudiness of understanding at some point. So regardless of who you are, regardless of how experienced you are, with enough questions, I, I can get to the edge of your understanding, right? And you could do the same for me. Um, because we we can't, <laughs> programming is too big of a world for us to have all of it in our head and um, to have the level of precision uh, that we might expect everybody to have. So all that to say that um, we all have things that we understand well, we all have things that we kind of just learned enough to get by, right? We, we kind of learn what we need to in order to just do what we need to day to day, but we haven't really gone deep on those things. So everybody's coming from a little bit of a different place. And so how do you present concepts that are not going to bore the people who are very experienced, but you're not going to lose the people who are less experienced? And um, so I'm doing my best uh, to accommodate everybody. Um, because what I've found is the books that I've read where somebody presented something in a vivid, concrete way, and even in an entertaining way, a lot of times, even if I understood those concepts previously, it shines a new light on it, and it gives me new perspective on it. And it solidifies my understanding of those things. And so now that's it's ingrained in my mind better than it was before. Whereas maybe before I had a little bit more of a tenuous foundation on that uh, topic, but I knew it you know well enough to skate by. Uh, after reading something that explains things well, uh, that gives me a, a good entertaining um, approach to it, I found that I'm not bored by it. I'm actually I actually enjoy reading it, and it actually does something for me. Um, even if it's not, you know, reaching up to the, the higher rungs of the ladder, um, of the programming language, um, it's giving me a, a more, a more solid foundation, uh, if that makes sense. And so my approach in the book is to, um, is really to be, um, very clear on all the terms. And so that does mean even things like a variable, what is a variable, right? The, the very first thing I start off with, uh, in the book in order to kind of level set on the ground is this is a circle. Okay. Everybody can relate to a circle, right? No matter how old you are, you can take a kid, uh, you know, who's, who's barely done any drawing at all and they can look at that and say, that's a circle. I understand what that is. And so I'm trying to start off with a very uh, approachable, relatable, um, concrete examples, uh, to really tie things to, but I also don't camp out there too long. So a lot of times I'll introduce something, uh, introduce a concept. I'll try to use a lot of precision of language, especially when defining a term, uh, so that um, we can take things that, just for example, you know, some people would say, uh, what's the difference between a, a lambda, a closure, uh, and a nonus function, uh, and a function literal, right? And they're they're all kind of related concepts and very, very um, tied together. And sometimes we even might use some of those terms interchangeably. Um, but I'm trying to make sure that as I'm writing this book, I'm not just using things interchangeably that I'm very precise in the language. So I will define, um, pretty much every technical term, uh, along the way is defined and a lot of times illustrated and, you know, pointed out in code if, if necessary. 
Um, but I also, like I said, I don't camp out there. I don't hang out there forever. I assume that you're going to read that, understand it, uh, pull it over. And as we move on, that's going to be the basis, uh, the foundation upon which the next chapter is going to be built. So what I really am aiming for in this book is a cumulative uh, way to learn concept upon concept, uh, the most important things that you're going to need to know as a Kotlin developer from day to day. Yeah, that's a really great explanation. Um, I, I really loved, uh, the, the circle that you use at the beginning, I mean, like it's, it's, it's to introduce people to sort of variables and functions and things like that, you know, two pi R, uh, is the circumference of a circle, but there's just looking at a circle and like thinking about it. Uh, and then that circle, the circle figure sort of repeats throughout the book as you discuss other things, um, which is really just, just brilliant because it, it's, it's one of those reminders when you were talking, I was thinking about, um, an experience I had once, you know, when it comes to like what, where you are in your work and, and how you understand what you're doing. Um, sometimes you need these reminders. And I remember one time I was doing, uh, I was an investment banker and I was doing sort of very complex financial modeling and I was having, I was having trouble with something. And one of my colleagues just looks at me, and goes, Len, a model is a system of inputs that generates output. And I'm like, oh, okay. I, I just needed that. <laughs> I just needed that reminder that like, this is what you're doing. You're, but you're creating some inputs. It's just creating some outputs. That's all you're actually really doing. Um, uh, and it's like, oh, and you know, like a lot of times, like looking at, looking at programming books and things like that, it's kind of like, oh, like a little reminder, but like, yeah, a function is this and a variable is that, and things like that can be like incredibly useful to be just reminded how like beautiful these ideas actually are. Yeah, that's great. I think, um, the, like most concepts that I've uh, gone through in the book so far, I've been able to find some sort of a, you know, tangible metaphor, real life metaphor that um, I'm hoping is approachable and relatable for most people. And the idea is that if I can explain this to someone who's not technically minded, um, at least in a way that they could understand the concepts at a high level, uh, it's going to be even more effective for somebody who is technically minded. Um, and just before we move on uh, to the last part of the interview, um, for those listening who have been just mystified this whole time, uh, what's Kotlin? Oh, yes. Yeah. Kotlin is a <laughs> it's a general purpose programming language uh, that JetBrains introduced. So you probably have heard of JetBrains um, for their wide range of IDEs. Um, the idea that a, a company that has exposure to pretty much all programming languages and um, has generated ASTs for all these languages, like for, you know, have, have uh, developed the tooling to compile uh, and, and um, do inspections on all these languages. The idea that they could produce their own language is was pretty exciting to me. Uh, and so that's kind of how I uh, ended up falling in love with the language. But it is a general purpose programming language. Uh, it can target lots of uh, different architectures and things you can uh, most popularly it's used on on JVM um, alongside Java uh, frequently uh, it's used primarily now in, in Android development I think most of uh, the apps out there now are uh, are you know the, the top thousand apps almost all of them now are using uh, Kotlin uh, it can target JavaScript it can um, experimentally target uh, WebAssembly uh, it can also target a variety of native um, our architectures as well. So if you want to run it, just kind of like, uh, you know, out of command line on your Windows or, or Mac or whatever, uh, it'll do that as well. It's got a, um, I believe it's got a really good balance of 
pragmatism and um, also like good practice uh, baked into it. So things like, for example, if you want to create a read-only variable or a mutable variable, either way, it takes the same number of keystrokes. We don't have to type uh, like final ahead of it, right? Uh, where it's a, a where you have to pay a higher toll in some languages to do what you might regard as kind of the better practice of making it immutable. Uh, and so Kotlin's done a, a really good job on that. Their support for uh, uh, lambdas and and um, all that has been really you know, pretty well first class, whereas we've had some other languages where uh, it's had been kind of retrofit on, uh, onto the uh, language. So um, yeah, Kotlin is one of those languages that has really delighted me as a developer. Um, I got involved in it back when it was uh, first in beta and started using it professionally probably in uh, early 2017. So um, great language. If, if you haven't looked at it yet, uh, definitely uh, check it out. I think you'll enjoy using it. Um, in the last part of the interview, I always like to talk to people if they're if they're authors about their their process for creating things like ebook files and stuff like that. Um, and uh, you've got the you know in addition to creating an ebook file because you've used our upload writing mode, so you're creating it your own your own way. Um, that's right. Uh, you also do illustrations, um, and I imagine that's kind of like been been a journey of its own. Um, and so I was wondering if you could talk about a little bit like how did you start doing illustration and how do you do it now? Hmm. Um, so when I first started using illustrations in some of my writing, just, uh, just on my website, I was using an iPad and, um, you know, had an Apple pencil and the, uh, most common app for drawing on the iPads probably got to be procreate. Uh, and so I was using that to, uh, just kind of sketch out a few little things here and there. Um, I found that, uh, over time, just as the quantity of illustrations increased, the process of, uh, drawing on an iPad, transferring it to my computer, uh, getting it, you know, loaded into my, uh, markdown file or whatever, uh, all of that was a lot of overhead. And then if I needed to go back and make changes to it, I'd have to go back to the iPad, right. Uh, and, and go through that again. So eventually I, I got a Wacom tablet that's connected to the desktop computer. So I can just work on it, sketch things out here. Um, if I want to just do a, you know, a light sketch, um, I can, I can do that beforehand. Um, but, uh, yeah, I'm, I typically, as I'm writing, I will uh, start off with just a quick sketch because just like the text might very well change, uh, an illustration could change as well. And I don't want to commit to, a, you know, a nicely, um, you know, a nice clean illustration if there's a good likelihood that I'm going to have to go back and, and change it later. And so just, just so I, I can get the, the image in my head not being an illustrator myself. So it used to be that you would do things on your iPad and then you would mm -hmm. transfer those files to your computer. But now you've got something that's actually like a, a pad that's connected to your computer. That's right. Yes. So you can draw down here. I'm I'm making for people who are listening. I'm I'm making hand gestures, but you can draw down here, kind of. And are you watching the screen or are you watching the pad when you're doing? Yeah, you you have a few different options for uh, for how you do that when you have a, a tablet connected to your computer. Um, some of them are um some of them are just flat on the you know they'll sit next to your keyboard for example um and you can draw and it'll you'll be controlling the cursor and everything on your um on your screen uh the other option then is a bit more affordable than it used to be is getting uh, a tablet that is actually a monitor as well so you're drawing just like on an ipad you'd be drawing um right on the screen uh you can do that here 
Um, some illustrators who are better than me uh, actually prefer the, the kind that is on, um, you know, that is just a tablet that does not have the screen baked in because then they've got their monitors all, you know, very finely configured to get exactly the right color uh, and that kind of thing. A lot of times the tablet uh, tablets that have the monitors baked in are, you know, not quite as high quality on the uh, on the actual video signal. But uh, for me, it, it's been working really well. Um, and, uh, when, when it comes to, um, so for anyone, for anyone listening, who's thinking like, I want to write a programming book or something like that, you have really good, in addition to illustrations, um, you have really good code sample images. Um, and I was wondering if you could explain how you get those. Uh, when you say the code sample images, you're just talking about like the code listings and just kind of how they look or. Yeah. Yeah. How they look. I mean, they've got like nice rounded corners. I'm just looking at, yeah. looking at them right now and things like that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, um, yeah, a lot. I guess one thing that I should probably mention for uh, the listeners is that, that um, for my book, I've been uh, writing it for a few years and publishing it online uh, on my website. So it's been going through um, a regular, you know, markdown to HTML uh, flow. And so I was able to do some code listings on the website uh, with CSS and get it to look like I wanted. And when I um, just now started introducing this, the, the lean pub edition of this, I wanted to kind of keep that same feel to it um as as i put it in the pdf and so uh yeah for uh for the website of course css does all the magic for me which is really nice for um for my process of um of writing the chapters and, and publishing the pdf here um, i'm actually really glad that you all offer uh, i was gonna say is i was really glad that you all offer a way to just upload a pdf um because like I said, I've already been authoring kind of with my own uh, setup. I know you guys have a lot of uh, fancy authoring tools as well, uh, which are probably helpful for a lot of people. Um, in my case, I've got all these illustrations, these code samples and everything that I really want to align very particularly on the page. Um, I still have a little bit of work to do to finalize some of that, but um, I've uh, like I'm able to use uh, like I, I could use InDesign for example I'm actually using Affinity's uh, publisher which is a, kind of a, a comparable uh, software that uh, is a one-time purchase which is a, kind of a nice option um, and uh, so I've been using that to um, uh, to lay out the page and that includes the code listings like you're talking about um, I was able to find ways to make that a repeatable um, a repeatable process the, the tough part about that though is that uh, it is out of sort of automation flow. And so it requires a lot of uh, just like dragging things in. Um, I'm, I'm able to, um, you know, I'm able to create kind of like snippets of um, of layout, if that makes sense. So like different sized uh, code snippets, I can just kind of click and drag them in and then paste the code in. Uh, but it is still quite a manual process, uh, which is part of the reason why it took me a little while to get around to uh, being able to publish the first uh, Lean Pub edition here. Yeah, no, that's that. Thank you very much for sharing that story. I mean, it's 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 so great for people who um you know when they start getting into writing, they're like, why is this so hard? And it's like it's actually just kind of hard. Um, you know, we we try and make things easier with our own writing posts. So does everybody who makes a tool. Uh, but one of the reasons we there's a couple of reasons we have the upload writing mode that you're that you're using. One is that a lot of authors are very particular about that. Well, they come with their own process. They're like, why would I have to? change it to sort of adapt to you let me just upload my thing that i my great thing that i've made um another reason is that um you can use lean pubs writing processes to create your book and publish it in progress but when you're done you can do for example a tool you mentioned called indesign for example like when you're done writing your manuscript 
you actually can either yourself or hand it off to a professional book designer, go create these sort of professional sort of ebook files, and then you can switch your writing mode and upload uh, to LeanPub after mm. you're done writing. Um, so the two the two things aren't incompatible. Um, but that that uh, the work it takes to get things right, the truly right, uh, you know, it's like what's the whole eighty twenty or or whatever your whatever one's analogy is. Um, you know, uh, that's that's that it's that last mile that can often be the hardest, but that can be the difference between a book that's really helpful to people and a book that's kind of frustrating. Um, yeah, uh, and you know, that's that's kind of what what happens in the end. Um, the last question I always like to ask on the podcast, if the guest has uh, published a book on LeanPub, is if there was one magical feature we could build for you, or if there was one thing that had you shaking your fist and swearing at the screen whenever you were using LeanPub that we could fix for you, um, is there anything you can think of that you would ask us to do? Yeah, I appreciate you asking that. Um, I am very new to the platform, uh, as, as you probably know. Uh, so I at this point, I don't have any uh, specific feedback for you. Um, like I said, I've, I've particularly enjoyed being able to um, upload the PDF uh, manually. That's been a big thing for me. And I, I honestly wasn't sure about that at first. So for anybody who, um, like me, has content that you really need to be particular about the way it's laid out, um, uh, I, I wasn't aware that that was an option when I uh, first heard about LeanPub. Oh. So uh, definitely, I'd, I'd encourage you to uh, not let that be something that gets in your way. Uh, so yeah, new to the platform, I, I don't have any feedback for you yet, but I'll be publishing new um, updates over the next few months. I'm hoping to uh, finalize the uh, the book here probably in the next uh, you know four to six months or so. And so I will uh, definitely be sure to jot down anything that comes to mind as I uh, continue through that process. Awesome. Well, yeah, no, uh, please reach out anytime. Uh, you've obviously got my contact details and everything like that. And I, we love hearing, I mean, insofar as LeanPub is a good platform, it's because of authors like you sort of giving us their their uh, occasional uh, sort of um, chin up and finger wags uh, and things like that. So anything you can do, uh, any that sort of suggestions that you have, we're open to. Uh, well, Dave, uh, thank you very much for taking some time out of uh, what I'm sure was a beautiful afternoon uh, in Tennessee. Uh, and thank you very much for being uh, on the podcast. Thank you. And as always, thanks to all of you for listening to this episode of the Front Matter podcast. If you like what you heard, please rate and review it wherever you found it. And if you'd like to be a LeanPub author yourself, please check out our website at leanpub.com. Thanks.